Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And happy Independence Day for those in the United States. Happy July 4th for all those who are not in the United States. You still have a July 4th. Anyway, today on the podcast, I am responding to a listener request. As an inflation guy, you you hear a few questions with regularity, and one of them is about whether or not the CPI index is the best representation of inflation or whether there's another so-called independent index that might be better. I've talked a little bit about this in different forms in the past, but today specifically I'm going to talk about the Chapwood index and how it compares to the CPI. But first, as always, a word from our valued sponsor. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a new ETF provider offering alternative investment strategies with full transparency, daily liquidity, and low costs. Some of, the, some of their hedge fund style strategies include managed futures, commodity trend following, steepener trades, and more. If you're an individual investor or an RIA, you will likely find a compelling alternative investment from a Simplify that can help improve your portfolio. Check out their website at simplify.us or their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. One more preliminary, and, uh, and that's the trivia question. Actually, two more preliminaries, one of which is to, to tell regular listeners that I obviously still have a cold. Uh, but uh, it's just hanging on, but it's it's not nearly as bad as last week. So, but in case anybody can tell that my voice isn't quite the same, still, that's the reason. Um, the other preliminary is the trivia question, and here's the trivia question. Again, I'll answer this at the end. Uh, and this is a little economic history for you. Uh, in the home front support of the war effort back in World War II, Procter & Gamble... Uh, began to distribute several of their products in glass packages in order to save metal. Uh, One of their products in particular led the way with the slogan, tin goes to war, blank goes to glass. Tin goes to war, blank goes to glass. What was the product? What was the blank in that? And I will give you the answer at the end. So I get a lot. I get asked a lot about the Chapwood Index, among other things, but you know, related to uh, the whole notion about CPI maybe not being perfect. Um, and the Chapwood Index is billed as a true cost of living index, unlike CPI uh, on their website and everywhere else. Now I'll start by saying that um, the Chapwood Index is not you know, quite the pure idiocy that you know, say shadow stats is, you know, shadow stats is just a scam. It's just preying on the people who think CPI sounds too low and the government must be making it up. And, um, the Chapwood index, at least according to its own origin story, arose not because the government is eagle and evil and tricksy, but just because they're doing it wrong. According to the Chapwood index site, this is a quote, While many people have tried to come up with different indices to more accurately portray the cost of living increase, they have been avoiding a critical factor. None of these independent indices take into account the different cost of living increases that occur geographically. The blatant truth is that costs rise and fall differently in different areas, and the idea of a one-size-fits-all cost of living increase measurement may be just as flawed as the CPI itself. 
Now, that would be a true and valid complaint. It is absolutely the case that inflation moves differently in different parts of the country. Different goods and services move at different rates in different parts of the country. And that would be a true and valid complaint if it described the CPI. But it doesn't. CPI has indices available in dozens of, of geographies and you know, regions of the country and major metropolitan areas, and it's all publicly available on the website. So it is just, you know, that's just a blatant falsehood on its face, which doesn't start us in our quest to understand the Chapwood Index on a very positive footing. When it, you know, when you start with something which is just a blatantly, you know, false thing to say. Um, and um, and actually, the founder of the Chapwood Index, Ed Butowski, also thinks the government is fiddling with the numbers. And he's not alone in this. He says, I firmly believe the government is grave, the government gravely underestimates the national rate of inflation, a number also plagued with bias and statistical manipulation. Uh, again, lots of people believe this. And it does, he does stop short of the shadow stats claim that the government is simply lying. But it still seems to implicate sinister motives by using the word manipulation. Of course, statistical manipulation means something different to statistical scientists, right? Um, it isn't actually a bad thing. It just sounds bad. I mean, you have to manipulate. Data is messy. So you have to manipulate the data to avoid as much bias as you can. Data itself, depending on how it's collected, comes with a bias. And so it needs to be statistically manipulated. Look, one of the ways that you statistically manipulate the CPI is to calculate a median on it. That's a statistical manipulation, and it. Uh, but I use that because I think it actually removes some of the the biases from an average number on on from, from an index that averages things which which don't necessarily move in sort of a uh, a Gaussian normal curve kind of fashion. But that's statistical manipulation, right? So saying though that the the CPI is plagued with bias and statistical manipulation isn't a huge claim, but it clearly is meant to sort of hint that there's something, you know, sinister that's wrong with it. Elsewhere on the Chapwood site, it claims that the BLS began to cook the books on, they quote, cook the books on inflation in 1983, which is essentially the same as Shadow Stat's disprovable claim. And, uh, and I don't like the the term cook the books, and I, that will come up a lot in this podcast, um, I think. Um, by the way, as an aside, I don't think that there's anybody at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS, that thinks the CPI is perfect and unbiased. Uh, I don't think any statistician looking at almost any source of data would think that it's perfect and unbiased. Um, the people at the BLS have studied the CPI a lot and they've squeezed out a lot of the biases. The best arguments I've heard about bias actually suggest that CPI might be biased too high. And then at some point I might have a, a guest on to talk about this. But one of the arguments, for example, is that because the way we collect data on prices tends to underestimate the improvement in the quality of living caused by, say, new intellectual property, you know, the internet, healthcare advances, and things like that. And if you underestimate how much that's improving the quality of life, how much it's, it's 
contributing to GDP, then you're going to naturally, that means you're going to overestimate the price uh, impact. So, um, but that's a really, really fine point. It's arguable um, and uh, it, you know, it's up for reasonable debate. Claiming that the people at, at BLS, you know, are just sort of nasty people doing the work of evil, evil overlords to fictionalize the inflation index, it's just not based in reality, right? I've pointed this out a lot before, and I'll get back to the Chapwood Index in a second, but I pointed out a lot before that, um, well, you can go to my blog, and I'll have it in the show notes, eighth grade math versus shadow stats. You can make some very simple arguments that are compelling because we have a long time series. Um, it's simply not reasonable to say that the CPI is far off in how it measures inflation. Because if, if, it, if it was off by very much, if it was off by the 3 or 4% that the that shadow stats claimed, then over a period of 40 or 50 years, that the compounding of that miss would be so obvious that it makes the difference between living in a house and living in a cardboard box. And you just couldn't miss it. Again, read that. Go look at that article for um, uh, sort of the more thorough argument. But but I think that I come to addressing the Chapwood Index or Shadow Stats or any of these other indices. I come from the the, the starting point of, hey, I, you know, we know things are wrong with the CPI and, and, and there are things we can improve and there's some things which are just hard to improve. But there's not a whole lot of evidence that it's wildly off. Um, and so you're going to have to prove to me, you're going to have to show your methodology is lots better. You're going to have to show me that your collections are much better, your, your universe is much better, whatever. You're going to have to show me that what you're doing is just makes a lot more sense than what the CPI is doing because it doesn't look to me like the CPI is really off. Um, but let's depart from sort of the, the ad hominem attack that people make on the CPI. As I, says, as I said, it makes me initially suspicious of the Chapwood Index, but let's look at the index on its own merits. So Chapwood, so BLS has 80,000 items in its consumption basket. Chapwood looks at just 500, which to them is a feature, not a bug, uh, because it allows them to sort of focus on what it asserts are the 500 most frequently used and relevant items. It reaches the assertion and it reaches their universe of 500 by collecting, and this is a quote, collecting data from friends and associates from across the country. Now, it doesn't strike me as the most rigorous approach, uh, going and just asking a bunch of people on social media, you know, hey, what are the things you buy the most? Uh, but, you know, it, it, their list includes things like plumbing emergency. I agree, people do buy plumbing, but I'm not sure how you would scope plumbing emergency. If I said, hey, what did your plumbing emergency cost last week? Well, I mean, it could be anything from $100 to have the plumber come out to $25,000. Those, that's, you're talking about, you're using a phrase that is not well-defined. And so that's going to be very difficult, in my mind, to get a good price for plumbing emergency. Um, but it also includes things like life insurance, envelopes, postage, set of Allen wrenches, gas bill, internet, 
washing machine, and a lot of those things are much easier to go and define. Um, includes mortgage, and we can anticipate some issues there. Does mortgage include the repayment of principal, which is not consumption? I talked back in episode seven of this podcast, an episode entitled Rents and Sensibility, and that's also the show notes, um, about the complexities of measuring shelter inflation accurate, uh, accurately. It used to be that you know, prior to 1983, um, the date of the original sin that Chapwood and Shadows Dads and everyone claims, um, that the BLS and most major statistical agencies around the world used mortgage rates to measure the cost of home ownership. And the problem with that, the, the problems are legion, but one of the big problems is that if you include mortgage, the cost of a mortgage, then as inflation goes up and interest rates go up, you're kind of double counting. And if the Fed were to tighten and then therefore raise interest rates, then you, they're also raising CPI mechanically. Every time the Fed hikes, they're going to raise inflation because a mortgage rate will go up. So, so there's, there's a whole lot of practical reasons you wouldn't want to refer to mortgages. And so, you know, massive multi-year study, enormous community of economists comments and argues and for a long time, and eventually the BLS, BLS settles on the owner's equivalent rent method, which has now been adopted by every major statistical agency in, in the world. Well, almost all of them. So, so mortgage is potentially problematic. Um, uh, but, you know, again, you could sort of understand how how people who don't necessarily, who, who weren't privy to that multi-year argument would, would might think mortgage is a better estimate of how, of what my cost of living is. The Chapwood Index also includes sales and income taxes. And this is, again, something which seems to affect, it certainly affects your the quality of living, your cost of living, but does it belong in an inflation index? Um, taxes are clearly a cost of living. Uh, but do you in any sense consume income taxes? I mean, of course not, right? So, you know, if you, if you consume zero this year, but you made a lot of money, then guess what? You pay income taxes. If you consumed a ton this year, and you made a lot of money, then you pay the same amount of income taxes. It has nothing to do with your consumption. Look back at episode four, which again is also in the show notes, uh, when I talk about the making of an inflation index. And, and this is, this, you know, the, whether or not to include taxes is, is a reasonable question, but it has a very reasonable answer. At the end of the day, what you spend in year two versus year one, okay, what you spent in 2022 versus 2021, you should be able to compose that change in spending in, in, into two components. One is you bought a different amount of stuff. Okay, the actual real amount of goods and services you consumed went up or down, but there's a change associated with what you actually spent in real terms. And the other is a change in the price of the things that, that didn't change in real terms from year to year. Okay, so a change in the quantity and a change in the price. Income taxes are not proportional to spending, 
And so they would not, you couldn't include them in any decomposition like that. And so they don't really uh, belong in an inflation index. Taxes suck. There's no question about it, but they're not inflation. Um, it, may, it may be a cost of living, but they're not inflation. Um, look, I understand the emotional argument for including taxes in a cost of living index, but it's not analytically helpful in looking at changes in the cost of consuming a particular standard of living. Um, income taxes are effectively an act of God. From the standpoint of us as consumers being able to change, you know, to, to, to choose a different product, to select something differently, to consume more or less, income taxes fall outside of that. We have nothing, we have no control over that in terms of our consumption patterns. Anyway, these are all details um, of the Chapwood Index that I, I have some argument with. I can see the argument for mortgages, don't think it's done right, but for many years, that is the way people did did shelter. So okay, um, and uh, and I can and I understand viscerally the argument for taxes. I don't really think that changes much over time. Um, you know, obviously it increases the cost of living over time because taxes don't tend to go down, but it's not going to have an enormous impact uh, year to year. Um, except you know, unless you, the consumer, move to a higher tax bracket, in which case, again, I don't have any, I, you know, if I'm, depending on how you collect the data, I don't really know why that should affect your, your, your particular index because the person doing the collecting moved into a higher tax bracket. Um, but anyway, all those are, so all those are sort of details where you can argue about what should be in scope and out of scope in, in the, the consumption basket. Um, but then... We get into bigger problems, though, with the index. Those are the small problems. The big, bigger problems with the index follow. The biggest one, I think, is that the methodology of calculating the index isn't public. On the part of the Chapwood Index site where technical details appear, the, that little menu item, uh, you have to have a password to get in to look at the technical details of how you calculate the index. Why in the world do you need to have a, a password protection to the technical details of of what you ex, of what you're intending to be a public index. I mean, the BLS make by contrast makes its entire methodology completely transparent. You can go to the bls.gov/cpi website and there's a header CPI methods which not only has the official handbook of methods which will tell you in excruciating detail how they go and collect all this stuff um, but lengthy explanations about quality adjustment, seasonal adjustment, white papers covering a wide range of topics that the Bureau staff have researched, and a lot of them are actually really, really interesting. So um, I, the Chapwood Index site has got a password uh, block so that you can't actually go see how it's calculated. So the only thing we can find on Chapwood without having the password is this remark on their site, quote, we take the precise price for the same item quarter by quarter and calculate the increase or decrease. All right, that makes sense. We tracked the prices on a quarterly basis and created a weighted index based on price. Weighted based on price? I don't even know what that means. If I buy a car, its price is many times higher than the price of a gallon of gasoline, does that mean that the weight 
of a car in the index is many times the weight of gasoline, even though I spend a lot more on gasoline in a given year than I spend on the fraction of a car that I, I go buy. That can't be the answer. I mean, that would be absolutely a stupid way to do it. Um, is it a is it equal weight? They just take all of the percentage changes and, and just straight average them? Um, I mean, that that could be. Or is it you know, dollar weights, that dollar change in a particular, again, you'd have to have some measure of consumption. Is it an average? Is it a median? Is it trim mean? Is it chained? How do they adjust when something, when one of their prices isn't available in a quarter? You know, you had the, uh, the 26, the 24 count Huggies diapers, and now they have, you know, and this quarter, you, you know, the person who is collecting that doesn't, you know, can't find them or they're only 36 count or they don't have Huggies anymore. You know, how do you adjust for that? The BLS has very clear processes for how they go and adjust and, and make, you know, if a product changes, how they go and, uh, and adjust for that. Um, Chapwood, Chapwood does not. Um, and what's the price of a mortgage anyway? I mean, are we talking the price of a home? Is that what goes into the weight? Or is it, um, is it the, the size of the, of the payment? Um, if they create an index based on price, no matter how you do it, you're going to tend to overweight the things that are going up in price. I mean, just by its nature. It's the same reason that a capitalization-weighted equity index is going to tend to have too much weight in stocks that are in bubbles and too little weight in stocks that are, you know, in unnatural negative bubbles because that's how you weight a capitalization weighted index, right? So you're going to, you're going to, and this is Rob Arnott's point from many years ago. If you have a capitalization weighted index compared to weighting in almost any other scheme, it's going to underperform because you are systematically overweighting the things which are sort of in bubbles. And so it's the same sort of, problem if you are going to weight a price index by you know by the by by the prices right if you don't employ some divisor methodology you're going to over time significantly overweight the things which just keep going up in price and the things which initially went down in price will just vanish from the index for a long time um it also seems that chapwood's collection methodology is based on self-reporting. And I can't really confirm that because, again, I can't look at their methodology. Um, but based on what they say about how they created the basket in the first place, it seems that they have people all over the country and they collect these prices somehow. It seems to be based on self-reporting. And if that's the case, as opposed to the BLS, where they've got people who are paid to go out and collect the prices, and then they have someone else who's paid to check that all the prices were collected, and then they have a process in case something wasn't collected to go and try to figure out how to collect that price or adjust for it. If, you, if it really is self-reporting, then you can see that there's going to be a massive bias because people tend to report things that they notice, and they tend to notice the things that move the most. So how do you, Chapwood Index, treat non-response? Because that's going to significantly bias your results and clearly they're going to bias them higher. So these aren't little things, you know, like, gee, should you include a mortgage or, or some 
other way of owner's equivalent rent. Should you include taxes or not? Those are comparatively little things to the question of, hey, how do you weight the index? How do you cons- figure out what a consumption basket is? How do you, how you collect the data in the first place? So it's arguable that the CPI might have a small bias. It might be a half percent over time. But it can't be much more than that because of the reasons that the compounding argument that I mentioned. Um, plus, CPI has been picked over by armies of, of people, economists and otherwise, each of whom has full access to the methodology, the reasons behind it, and full access to the people who manage the process at the BLS. Really, you can just call them or email them, and they'll answer questions about the methodology. Not to mention there's a multi-trillion dollar bond market linked to CPI, which, if CPI really dramatically understated inflation, would cause investors to pay a lot less for those bonds, meaning that they would have very high yields. And we don't see that. And in fact, we've observed that in countries that do cook their official inflation rates, obviously, it's like Argentina, the real yields on their inflation-linked bonds are much higher than in countries with legitimate official rates. So there are lots of reasons to think that CPI isn't terrible, even if it isn't perfect. And there's a couple of trillion in, in the size of the TIPS bond market, which seems to be rationally priced. By contrast, Chapwood has a totally opaque methodology based on a limited and probably biased sample and appears to be off by a huge amount compared to price changes we can actually observe over time. Nothing in the world is indexed to Chapwood. Nothing ever will be. The part of the methodology that we can see seems to make no sense, seems independent of consumption weights, and looks highly exposed to sampling biases and all sorts of other things. Look, honestly, some of these things are fairly easy to correct. And so I'm left with the sense that they don't really want to correct them. That the attention that they get from having an inflation index, that's lots higher than the official data, is the whole purpose of the exercise. To be sure, this is a little more sophisticated than Shadowstat's method of just applying a spread to the official measure uh, to, in order to say that, that you know, inflation is really 12% um, and get attention on that basis. But it's, it's no less phony. It relies on the fact that the right way to do an inflation index is actually pretty complex and hard to understand if you're not a quantitative economist. But that doesn't mean that CPI is wrong. The fact that inflation feels higher is also not evidence that it's wrong. There are lots of cognitive biases that affect how we perceive something as complex as our buying habits. The whole idea of CPI being manipulated is, to me, a conspiracy in search of a conspirator. The government did this. But who's the government? Who specifically benefits when retirees get screwed out of money because they get lower cost of living adjustments? We have a representative government. You'd think that if there was a legitimate argument that the CPI was cooked, a legitimate quantitative argument, you could go and prove it, that some senator would want to highlight it, right? Would want to highlight that there's this you know, huge bias and that we're just you know, screwing all these voters because those people are the ones that they appeal to uh, for the vote. They don't get any bonuses for saving the government money. You know, if the government was a, an entity unto itself, then you could say the government is cooking the books because the government wants to save money. But there's nobody in the government, obviously, who wants to save money. I mean, look at the deficit. 
If there are people in the government who wanted to save money, we wouldn't be running multi-trillion dollar deficits year after year. So who benefits from having an obviously wrong number in CPI? Politicians who trumpet the achievement of low inflation, if people know that it's a lot higher than they're saying, would have the same problem as politicians who trumpet 3% unemployment if there's bread lines, right? So, you know, it, it's, to be sure, unemployment is easier to measure than inflation, but lying only goes so far. You can shade, but it's hard to outright lie for decades to hundreds of millions of people and huge numbers of bondholders. But Chapwood doesn't have that kind of audience. And they do benefit from having, from, from having people make, you know, uh, get attracted to them because of the number that's, that's, that's wrong. As the saying goes, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but it's hard to fool all of the people all of the time. Chapwood's advantage is that they're only trying to fool some of the people. Don't be one of them. Okay, that's all for today. I um, I apologize. I tend to get a little worked up sometimes. <clears throat> you know, I write this stuff down, and but I, you know, as a way to maybe make it a little less emotional. But but um, I I really, you, know, you don't have to love the CPI, but I've spent you know decades now looking at the number and and talking to the people who created and trying to figure out how you could make it better. And the answer is, yeah, you could probably improve it, but it's not easy. And it's not as simple as, and, and, and I am utterly convinced that there are not people in the government who are looking to, to go steal your money by lying about what inflation actually is. Um, and, and to a very real extent, it's hard to do. You know, the, you'll hear some people say, well, you know, they want to pay less interest on their tips bonds. So, you know, that's why they, they lower the number a whole lot. But that doesn't work. Because if everyone, if everyone knows the number is too low, then you sell those bonds at a lower price and a higher yield. You, you, you really can't, you know, the, the market is what sets the, the value of tips, not the government. You can index tips to the number of points the Chicago Bulls will score on average, and a tips bond will adjust in price, and you will have a different price than if you index it to, you know, the amount of rainfall in Arizona in July. Um, I can, I can make a bond with either of those things and they will have a price and the price will ultimately go back to what the real cost of money is. So you could change the index, but you don't save money that way. You could save money by paying retirees less, but again, I don't really see who, who benefits from screwing old people. Anyway, again, I was just saying I had wrapped up and then I get all exercise to keep on going. All right, let's go, let's go and answer that trivia question. That might uh, uh, get me off the topic here. Okay, so the question was, in the home front support, support of the war effort in World War II, Procter & Gamble began to distribute several of their products in glass packages in order to save metal. One in particular led the way marketed with the slogan, with a particular slogan. And the answer is, tin goes to war, Crisco goes to glass. Um, you can go and, and look it up online and, and find Crisco and pictures of Crisco in glass containers. Um, seems kind of weird to me, but, um, you know, it is, it is interesting from those of us who are too young to remember World War II, how 
wonderful, I mean, how horrible the war, of course, was, but how wonderful the feeling in the country of unity must have been back then. Let's hope we can get that kind of unity without that kind of uh, outside pressure. Um, there's uh, stuff in the show notes, uh, links to pro- price stats and a couple of blog articles and podcast callbacks. And that's all for today's podcast. Uh, please like and subscribe and and refer others. And if you want to write a review on Apple Apple Podcast Reviews, whatever, you know, Spotify, please please do so. Subscribe for, for free to the blog at inflationguy.blog, which I've already sent you to, so you can go and subscribe while you're there. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy and visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. And most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.